Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is Jonathan Kaiser. Jonathan is the founder and thought leader behind Kaiser, the largest occupier services commercial real estate brokerage firm in Arizona. Through sheer determination and focus on selfless service, he is disrupting the commercial real estate industry. He is also the best-selling author of You Don't Have to Be Ruthless to Win. And I hear today it's actually available on Audible. So congratulations and welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for inviting me, Paul. I appreciate it. So I want to dig into, I'm sure, an oft-asked question, which is uh, what does it mean to be ruthless and, and maybe take us back to the journey of getting into the commercial real estate business? Yeah, so... I was raised to love and serve. I was raised by actually Christian missionary parents in Papua New Guinea. Do you know where Papua New Guinea is? Uh, I've heard of it. I don't know exactly where it is. Exactly. Most people haven't. It's by Australia. And I lived not in uh, the main big cities, but out in the middle of nowhere. And my parents from an early age taught me to love, serve, give, and help others. That's the behavior they modeled for me all the time. But when we got back from overseas, I had this realization that I was poor, that other kids around me had things that I didn't have. And I didn't like being poor. Um, I wanted the stuff that the other kids had. And so I decided to figure out how to get rich. So I got into commercial real estate brokerage because a buddy of mine said I could get rich doing it. And I quickly realized, wow, this is a ruthless industry. So I became ruthless because I felt that's what it took to get ahead in a cutthroat industry. But I was miserable. I was misaligned with my core values, Paul. And I just felt trapped. I felt like I was missing something, but I didn't know what I was missing. What was clear to me was that ruthless didn't make me happy, but it certainly didn't make me poor. And then 15 years ago, at a conference, a speaker introduced me to the idea of a different way of success through service of putting others first and figuring out how to help other people. And I was a little bit incredulous. It sounded like what my parents' philosophy had been, but they were poor. So how could this be possible? Mm. So I went up to him after the, after the presentation and I said, is this really possible? Or is this just some shtick you say to sound good in front of an audience? And he said, no, this is really what I do. I said, well, how does that work? And if it, if it really is true, then how come no one else is doing it? And he said, because it takes too long. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he likened it to hunting versus farming. He said, today, Jonathan, you're hunting. You're grabbing your gun off the wall. You're shooting the game, skinning it, cooking it, eating it. And then you got to get up tomorrow and do it all over again. He said, what I'm describing is more like farming. And he likened it to citrus trees, where in the beginning, in the, in the early years, those things, I mean, I have a big one in my backyard that today 
it's almost a nuisance. I get so many lemons off to, off it. But when it was a younger tree, I didn't get anything, and I just had to nurture it and prune it and water it and and take care of it. And over time, uh, it turned into something that yielded amazing fruit. And he likened that to what is possible in a community. He said, if you just serve and help as many people in the community as possible, over time, you're going to develop these amazing relationships, and that's going to lead to business, and people are going to appreciate you and refer you business. So, well, that all sounds amazing, and I do like helping people, but you know, how long is it takes too long, right? <laughs> I mean, what, what are we talking about here? And he said, it'll take you about five years. And I went, oh, so that's why nobody's doing it. So mm. long story short, I uh, decided to – it appealed to me at such a fundamental level. I decided to uh, go all in, threw my old business plan away, started just helping everybody in the community. I almost became like a free community concierge, Paul. And people thought that I had gone off the deep end. You know, here I was – national rookie of the year for Grub and Ellis. Um, and then now today here I am, you know, not selling at all, but just getting involved with people in the community and see, asking them how I can help them. But over time that led to this extraordinary, um, level of success where people started to refer to me business without having to, um, pitch it without having to sell it. And so that was, that was so neat to be able to see, Hey, I don't have to be ruthless to be successful. You really actually can have success by helping others succeed. Hmm. All right. So let's dig into this a little bit because I want to, um, go a little bit deeper and understand what this really means to be ruthless. Give an example of how you exhibited those traits in sure. early on in, in the commercial real estate career you had launched. My pleasure. Yeah, I have so many examples. Um, so I remember like it was yesterday walking into an office building to cold call and try to find new potential clients. And I happened to meet a sweet older lady named Judy. And Judy said, Jonathan, your timing is perfect. I have a fast growing technology company. I'm trying to hire 30 employees a month, but I have nowhere to put them because I'm out of space. Can you help me find a bigger space? ideal type of client, fast growing. I can do a quick deal and make a nice commission. So I signed her up on an exclusive representation agreement and got to work immediately looking for properties to lease. Now I knew that I would make a lot more in commission on certain properties, Paul. So I only showed her properties that would maximize my commission, mm. even if the perfect property for her was across the street and half the price. But she had no idea because she didn't know the commercial real estate market. So she just trusted me to show her the right places. Then once I talked Judy into one of the highest commission, commission properties and how it was perfect for her, I then convinced her to sign a 10-year lease because I knew that I'd get paid a bigger commission on a longer-term lease. Um, but based upon what she had told me and the fact that she was a fast-growing company, I knew that a long-term lease was actually the worst possible thing she could do because fast-growing companies need flexibility above all else as their world is shifting rapidly. So a 10-year lease for Judy at an expensive property was arguably the worst thing possible for her, but I didn't care. All I cared about was me and my commission. So you went about to do whatever you needed to do to make the most money you could. And I assume that commercial real estate, which is uh, known for maybe these kinds of practices, it was uh, typical for 
uh, an agent or broker like you to, to just do whatever you could to make as much money as you could and get to the top of that list. And you thought less about the customer than you did about your pocketbook. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes. What I became very, very good at Paul was, you know, selling one way, pitching one way, and then delivering a completely different way. So I'd go in and this was common practice. I mean, this, this example is not unique. This happens every single day in every single city across the country. And is part of what makes the industry so ruthless, but everything was about the fee. But we're, we became masters at selling that we were going to do all this amazing work for them and help them find the best deals. But the reality was that we were actually just looking out for number one. The other, the other example I would give is how conflicted the industry is. So if you think about it today, Kaiser, the largest firm of our kind in Arizona, we only represent the user or the occupier or the, or the tenant mm-hmm. of commercial real estate. But traditional firms rep- try to represent both, and they primarily represent these landlords and developers and these real estate investors that they get the majority of their revenue from. And then they go tell these tenants, hey, we're going to go help you find a great deal. And they tell these landlords, we're going to get you the highest rate possible. And I actually experienced that as a young guy where I went into two back-to-back meetings with my senior partner. And the first meeting was with a tenant. And the pitch to that tenant was, we're going to go get you the very best deal on the most flexible lease term that'll, that'll, that'll make you know you save the most money possible. And then we literally went across the street and met with the landlord that was a, a potential landlord for this tenant and said, we're going to find you the best tenants to pay the highest rates and the longest term leases so you can sell your building for the highest um, per square foot cost in the history of the marketplace. And so everything was about creating opportunities for you to make money at the expense of anybody else around you, including people internally. You know, I was ruthless with my colleagues as well. I remember taking a colleague named Jeff out for drinks to get to know him under the guise of getting to know him. But the reality is I just wanted to get him drunk and pick his brain about one of the buildings he had for lease. So the next day I could go call all those tenants and, and tell them all the problems with the buildings and see if I can move them out. Like everything was about how do you make the most money check your integrity at the door and let's, you know, let's, let's see who makes it to the top of the heap fastest. All right. So I feel like I just walked into a car dealership a little bit, but, uh, uh, you at some point said and felt that this wasn't, uh, enough for you. Uh, I mean, Hey, you were making a lot of money. You're you're number one nationally for Grubb and Ellis. You're, you're doing well. What was it? Was it seeing that speaker at the conference, but or at some point, what triggered in you that uh, meant it was time to do things differently? Yeah. Well, first of all, I wasn't number one at Grubbinells nationally, but I was the number one rookie. You know, so I was making some money, but I wasn't, I wasn't killing it. But I was just miserable. So it started with the speaker, right? The idea that wow, this is possible. What what if I didn't have to behave this way? What if I didn't have to be looking over my shoulder all the time? What if I didn't have to be biting before I got bit? What if I could just help as many people as possible? And not only could I be successful, but what if I I could have even more success? Because that's what the speaker described. Mm -hmm. So that started the journey. But then there there was a couple other moments. Number one, I was about three years into this reinvention. And as you can imagine, Paul... 
when you're doing something very, very differently, you're not necessarily um, adored for it. So I had a lot of people, almost everybody I knew thought I was crazy and they thought I was, you know, I was really, um, you know, I hit my head or something. And so it was in that moment that, you know, I remember reaching out to my coach and I sat down with my coach and over a, over a few sessions, what I realized, what he helped me see was that even though now I was out helping people, I was still doing it, Paul, from a place of manipulation. I was still doing it as a tactic, as a, as a, as a business plan to say, okay, if I go help this person, then I know I'll get something in return. And then I'd get upset if they didn't reciprocate. And once I saw that, I had this like gross feeling of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was blind to the fact that I was, you know, proclaiming to be this servant leader. And the reality is I'm just trying to, I'm just another manipulator. So at that moment, I decided just to go all in, help as many people as possible and not keep track. And that's when it really started to escalate. And it escalated to the point where after five years, just like that speaker had predicted, I, I went from laughing stock in the company to top producer. And um, now I had a new problem, which was how do I scale? And how do I build a culture of selfless service within a ruthless cutthroat industry and within a culture of an existing company that um, that wasn't always aligned around what I was trying to do? And so I had an epiphany moment in 2012 um, where it just hit me early in the morning in a meditation that what I was doing was bigger than me. It was bigger than my team. And it actually had the opportunity to transform an industry. And if I could teach other people in commercial real estate, how they could win, how they could succeed by helping others, then I could truly have a meaningful impact on the industry. And so I decided in that moment back in June of 2012, that I was going to start my own firm and that it was going to be based solely on service and that I was going to change the world and prove that not only in commercial real estate, but in any ruthless industry, that you can have success by helping others succeed. Not that you still can't succeed by being ruthless, but ruthless leaves a lot of dead bodies. It leaves a lot of unhappiness. You know, I, I remember um, I went to a funeral the other day for a broker that died before his time. I'll just call him Joe um, to protect his family, but it was sparsely attended. People struggled to say nice things about him from the podium. And it was a dramatic reminder to me of where I was headed before I found this new way and the downside of ruthlessness. He died young because of alcoholism, didn't know his kids well. I mean, one of them didn't even attend his funeral and he was on his third marriage when he died. So it's just this idea of sure, you may be able to put money in the bank by being ruthless. And a lot of people will you know, it's obviously been the, the standard mode of operation for many, many years in the business community in most most businesses. But I just believe there's a different way. And today, you know, we have the largest firm of our kind in Arizona, one of the fastest growing in the country. We're starting to launch new offices. And my book, obviously, the message is being received well by hitting number one on Wall Street Journal. So I'm really excited and, and encouraged that that the future the future um, studs and studettes in business, I believe, will come from the mindset of getting ahead by helping others get ahead. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on all the progress and what you've done so far. I, I want to um, 
you to give me one more example. So now, uh, this many years later, you've seen the light, you're operating differently, you've started your own firm, the firm is scaling and growing. Uh, I'm now a potential customer that is reaching out to Kaiser to potentially hire you for my next you know, growth or uh, project where I've got, I need office space. What's it going to be like working with your firm today versus what would it have been working with uh, your firm or the firm you worked with 10 years ago? How has on a practical basis things changed? Yeah, I'll give you a couple examples. So <clears throat> one of our recent clients um, was a rapidly growing retail franchise concept. We do a lot of our firm. We do office, industrial, healthcare, um, um, data center work. We do it all. Um, but this was a rapidly growing retail franchise with a brilliant founder named Marissa who hired us after working with kind of the traditional national brokerage firms I just described and where I came from. And she was finding herself being unable to secure, well, first even find, but secure the retail site she needed to grow across multiple states. And she was trying to figure out why it was so hard. So as we dug into the research, we quickly found that the national brokerage firm they've been working with was only showing them their own properties or the ones with the highest commissions. So when we came back after just a couple of weeks and presented a bunch of new options that were less expensive in the area she wanted to be in, she couldn't believe how many sites we found that had not been shown to her by her former broker. The reality was Marissa didn't have a real estate problem. She had a conflicted and self-serving broker problem. Right. I mean, that's the whole point of why we represent only tenants or occupiers, never landlords or developers. So with Marissa, over the next three years, we were able to find her sites that ended up saving her an average of 35 percent on her real estate spend. And they were in better located sites. So for us, why do I believe that that's that that selfless service is is the way to succeed? Well, now Marissa is a client for life. And more importantly, Marissa got a trusted partner in commercial real estate industry, which is hard to find. I mean, and the end of the day, Marissa's challenge was not an easy one. They were difficult to find sites. There was some issues with her, her use, and it took significant creativity and deep research on my team's behalf to help her find the best sites. In fact, we probably worked three to four times more. We probably put in three to four times more hours than anybody else would do to make sure she got the right sites. But that's our job. And the reason I believe it's self-serving to be of service to others is because every time we take care of someone like Marissa, they tell all their friends about us. So that creates this referral-driven business that we have today where if you take unbelievable care of your clients and your community, they become empowered ambassadors for your cause and refer all their friends and clients to you. Another example is a large global healthcare client, which had a global portfolio of leases. Like a lot of companies, these leases were on Excel spreadsheets. They were highly de decentralized, having grown through acquisition as a company. And a lot of these deals were terribly negotiated deals by local managers with expensive and one-sided lease terms. So we came in and did a real estate audit and found that they were actually paying rent on seven facilities they'd no longer even occupied. And the last firm that they'd been working with never even bothered to look. They were very reactionary. They were very much like, okay, do you have something I can make a commission on? Let me go do that for you. Two of the leases that had expired years prior and one they'd been paying on for 13 years and the building had been demolished five years ago. 
So, so it was just sloppy. It was like people weren't paying attention and they were just focusing on the commission. So we transitioned them into a lease management system, created consistency across their portfolio. And over three years, we saved them over 32% on their real estate spend across their portfolio, which resulted in 46 million in real estate savings per year. So for me, selfless service isn't just doing your job, right? That's the bare minimum. In my industry, most firms have the sales funnel model, right? Do as little as possible, push it through the through the process, and what it comes out at the bottom, you want it as efficient as possible. But I believe, to me, selfless service in commercial real estate or any industry, for that matter, is not about doing a bunch of transactions like the traditional commercial real estate brokerage firms focus on. It's about having a partner to help you maximize your real estate opportunities to save you money, create flexibility, and effectively plan long-term. So hopefully that answers your question and gives you a couple of real-time examples on how we, what we do here at Kaiser, how, how different it is from the kind of the traditional models. I imagine it's got to be uh, easier in some ways to recruit new talent into your organization as well. But I, I'm sure there's some young people, as I remember, leaving college that, you know, these really go-getters, aggressive guys that would go work in commercial real estate and, and make a ton of money and, uh, and grow in that industry. And I happen to be in the restaurant business now. So I was, I've been dealing with a few of those people recently. So I kind of get that. How are you translating this message to newer people, younger people that are coming into your firm that this isn't just words, but we're, we're operating in a way that's not only good for the company, but it's good for building your own career. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So part of Part of why I wrote the book is to help others, number one, see that it's even possible, right? But then also show them, I take everything I learned over the last 15 years of reinventing myself and now creating a culture around service, I put all of that into the book. So anybody, any business leader listening can pick up a copy of You Don't Have to Be Ruthless to Win and can put these practices Uh, into practice immediately in your own cultures and start creating success through service for yourself. So for me, the whole idea behind finding people is to make my message so clear that as people hear about us, as people are told about us, as they read about us, that the ones that this resonates with comes to us. Like if when people hear about us and they go to our website, if you go to kaiser.com, which is K-E-Y-S-E-R.com, there it's going to feel very, very different from any other commercial real estate firm. And we talk, we use the L word and we talk about love and service and help. And so if that's not naturally your inclination, or if that's not what you're looking for, you're not, you're, you're going to self-select out. And I love that. So that's kind of the first part is, is be very, very clear in your message. Don't try to be all things to all people. Be clear in what you stand for as an organization. We have 15 cooperating principles we built the firm on. And we, we lead with those. So that's kind of the first part. The second part, which is the harder part, is how do you make sure that as people get in, because you still can, you know, especially as our success has grown, as you can imagine, Paul, we have a lot of people that come to us talking a great game, you know, speaking like they're selfless. But the reality is once you dig in um, and once they get embedded, you realize, wow, this, this, this person really isn't living that. And that's where the challenge comes for a lot of organizations where, you know, they speak, a, they speak about culture, they talk about it, they say they believe in it. But when the rubber meets the road, when you have really talented people, right, in my industry, in my company, it would be talented producers that bring revenue into the firm. If they're not living the Kaiser way, 
and we let them stay and we don't remove them or help them see the error of their ways, then that has a, you know, a negative effect on the entire organization. And people start saying, well, I know they're just like everybody else. You know, they, they say they stand for this, but the reality is, is they don't because they let this person stay. So it's something that we're constantly aware of, but it, it, it takes prioritizing the culture, creating that culture, which again, I teach how to do in the book, but then also how do you maintain it? And so part of what we've done is created the Kaiser Institute to train, empower, and ultimately certify the next generation of, of selfless leader. And so a lot of people will say, Hey, Jonathan, you know, how do I, how do I actually take this concept of what you're talking about and put it into practice for myself? And so my first answer is always, well, that's what I wrote the book for. Buy the book, read the book, see if there's even something that you want to do. And if you need additional help from there, you know, we'd be happy to jump on a free 20 minute culture call and say, you know, where are those opportunities where we can assist the Kaiser Institute on help you creating that culture of selfless service for themselves. But at the end of the day, you know, what I always tell leaders is a fish rots from the head. So if you, if you speak like culture matters and you're articulating that, you better be willing to live it. The hardest part about being a selfless leader is the buck stops here. And I have to actually live those 15 cooperating principles that we've built Kaiser upon. And if I don't, we've created a culture where people call me out. Many organizational leaders do not want to have that level of vulnerability and level of transparency. So you can't do this unless you're really bought in. And that's why we describe as part of the Kaiser Institute and is woven throughout the entire book, what we call three levels of reinvention, which is reinvention from the inside out. You start with yourself, then you do the company culture, and then you do the collaborators in the community. And through that process, you can truly create organizational success through service. Jonathan, it's a long stretch from being a um, kind of a warrior hunter in commercial real estate working for someone else to growing uh, now your own firm that operates in a very different way. How many employees do you currently have? So currently we have 55 employees and we've grown 58% year over year since we started the firm. I mean, we're still a young firm, but we're, I just brought on a president and chief growth officer who's a complete stud. And the vision is to be a billion-dollar company with offices in every major market. And we, we already, just through the success of the book, have people reaching out that are in commercial real estate across the country saying, man, I am sick and tired of being in this ruthless culture. I didn't even know this thing existed until I read or heard about Jonathan's book. I want to be a part of it. I want to build an office and you know fill in the blank city. And so it's pretty cool to see how people are starting to come out of the woodwork wanting to be a part of this. Yeah. Um, if, if you kind of look back at that upbringing that you had um, with missionary parents who taught you to love, serve, give, and help others, and uh, this transition that you've gone through and the growth that you've experienced, where do you think some of your sensibilities as a leader uh, have come from? Because to lead and grow this culture, uh, especially with what you aspire to do from a growth standpoint, requires great you know, leadership sensibilities and capabilities. Where do you think those came from, kind of from your earlier years? It's a great question. When I had my epiphany in 2012, when I realized that you know, I had the opportunity to actually help transform this very cutthroat industry, I saw in that moment that all of the, you know, what I, I considered weird upbringing elements that I had had 
from being overseas to being a missionary kid to, you know, having to sit through hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of sermons, some of which was in languages that I didn't even understand. Um, it, it helped me see that I had been molded to be a selfless leader without knowing it by people that modeled it with the purest of intentions. And that now my opportunity was to show others how they could do it for themselves. And so that was, it started with my parents is my point, but then it was more than that because I needed a lot of coaching. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in self-improvement. It's one of our principles at Kaiser. And it's something that I've been, I've been fastidious about since I was a kid to try to use a big word to sound cool there. It's a word I just learned. <laughs> um, and so as a, as a young guy, I would read every book I can get my, I could get my hands on. I would listen to tapes at the time. Then I ended up hiring multiple coaches. Today I have arguably the best co coach in the world. And every week I sit down with him and he helps me identify other areas uh, that I could grow on. I, I tend to do the unreasonable, Paul. That's the short version. I do the unreasonable, which is doing those things that most people roll their eyes, like a 10-day meditation retreat. That, that To the old me, that would have sounded preposterous. Um, I try to do one big thing like that a year. But it's, it's just this constant awareness around self-improvement because I still suck in some areas as a leader. It's just, it's nobody's perfect and we're all on this journey but if your intention is to grow, to become better, you know, for me, I love my people at Kaiser and they love me back. But part of that love is, is tough love. And they are not afraid. Who cares that I'm the founder? I, I encourage them and they are not afraid to point out any time I fail at the principles. And I appreciate it because if we're not all doing that to help each other, we're not all growing together. I went on one of those uh, retreats um, last year, uh, only did four days, but uh, it was kind of a life changer, amazing experience. So uh, good for you for um, going through that and being such a, a long time and lifelong learner. Um, you said there's areas that you suck at. Um, give me an example of what you're still trying to work on as a leader. Sure. Well, I mean, one of them is, is I still tend to be very sensitive. So what is that? How does that show up? Well, sometimes when I'm in a, in a, in a situation, I'll take something more personally because I care so much. I'll take something more personally than it's intended. And that's just a growth area for me. And I'm working on it. Another thing is I'm not, I've always been the leader that leads and says, Hey, you know, follow me and let me show you how to do it versus coming alongside and, and taking the time to really teach and mentor. And so that's an area I'm improving on. Um, and so, and I could give you a hundred of them, but it's like, it's like, it's like being into being more intuitive and more aware of issues that my people be built dealing with and paying closer attention. Um, you know, part of what I brought, why I brought a president chief growth officer on board was a dramatic realization of, the areas that I don't, that, that, that I'm not the best in. And, 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 and I think a lot of leaders are afraid to do, th do that. They feel like somehow if they are vulnerable and admit that they don't have everything figured out, that, that they're somehow less than. And for me, it's like, I'm, I'm very clear is, is I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And so f finding people to help supplement the areas 
that you're not as good at, where this is what they're very good at, is also, I think, a key to leadership and, and growing an organization. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, we got to find great people around us because um, if we're honest, there's only so much we can do well. <laughs> so uh, to find those wonderful people to add to the team is great until you're at some point functionally responsible for nothing and you just get to lead and deliver the message and evangelize all day long, which is um, really what it's all about. And I can kind of hear that in your voice. Um, Jonathan, if you were talking to somebody that was younger looking at career choices, and I don't think it really has anything to do with commercial real estate because you could describe virtually any industry or parts of that industry the same way. But what kind of advice would you give to um, someone just starting out in their career? Sure. Uh, I would say that everything is about relationships. And when that was told to me as a young person, I didn't understand what that meant. Like I didn't really get it. And I don't think the people that were telling me really got it. So here's what, here's what I see now is the, the greatest way that you can accelerate your success is to identify those individuals that you can learn from, that you can model, and then figure out how to serve those people selflessly. Figure out what you could do to help them, even if it's in small little ways. Like it, Become good at listening and become good at asking questions and figuring out what people need and then become the person that just finds ways to help people and ask for nothing in return. And if you do that consistently, again, not the short game, but if you do that consistently, I think you'll be amazed at the results that it'll bring and the level of relationships and how no matter how young you are, people, how serious people will take you because they'll be able to see your heart. People are so tired of being sold to. People are so tired of being talked over. People want someone who's going to love and serve them. You know, and I think in all of our lives, there are places where, you know, for those of you out there that are not just starting out, for those of you who have been in business a long time, I think there are, in all of our lives, are places where we do the same thing day in and day out, either because we never think about changing or we're just so comfortable in our ways. I mean, let's face it, changing the way we do things is hard. One of my favorite things in the world is to drive my four kids to school every single day, and they're amazing. And in the past, I would always go the same route. My wife, Susanna, told me one day I should mix it up and try a different route. And I just said, nah, I'll stick with the same route because it was comfortable. Until one day, I had no choice but to try a different route because the road was closed and I had to go a different way. And guess what? The new route was less frustrating, faster, shorter, and to top it all off, it was more beautiful. So I believe for those of you out there, if you're willing to try a new route, take a new path, I believe that you will find a whole new world of possibilities that will save you time, money, expose you to new opportunities, and enrich your lives in ways you never thought possible. And my hope is that you'll take from this podcast today an empowerment, ready to change the way you do things and create a culture of selfless service for your own organization. And when you do, you will see things you never thought possible. I think it's time to change the way you do things because the person who helps you with your lease should also be on your side because you can grow your business and serve your people. My message today is I believe it's time to change the way that we do things, and I'm trying to be that example for others that it's possible in a world that's the opposite. 
Uh, that's a great message, Jonathan. And for those of you listening, I also think that it's possible uh, to do it in under five years. Uh, so uh, whether you're just starting out or you're making a break uh, from the current way that you do business, it's really about courage to make a change and living that every day. So I really appreciate the message, Jonathan. Uh, let me just close off with these five quick kick questions, kind of like the association game. Just let me know what comes to your mind. Um, can you name a leader that you look up to? Yes. Um, I, I really love John Mackey, with, who's the uh, co-founder of Whole Foods and the co-founder of the conscious capitalism movement. He actually lives it. He believes it. And he's become a great friend. That's a great example. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Um, oh, I'm a book guy. So there's so many, but, uh, one that really helped change the way I do things was a book by my good friend, Keith Ferrazzi named never eat alone. For those of you who have not read that, obviously buy my book, you don't have to be ruthless to win, but also read Never Eat Alone. It's an amazing book. That's a good one. Uh, what's your all-time favorite movie? Ooh, my all-time... Probably Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite TV series to binge watch? Um, my, my, of all time, my favorite was 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, but today... Um, Today, I, I, I'm not really watching that many shows. I've been so busy, to be honest. Uh, that is a good one. And, and lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know? Let's see. Well, I did a, I did a, um, when, I was a when I was a kid, I got into um, skiing. And one of my favorite things to do today is to snowboard and I love to snowboard with my kids. And so I don't really talk about it a lot, but my favorite thing to do is to hit the mountain. We go to Telluride every year and I just love being on the mountain in the majestic winter wonderland with the snow beneath my board. Yeah. Uh, I can just picture that now. Um, that sounds great. Well, uh, it's just been great to hear your story, Jonathan, and this is a story that's got much more to come. I know uh, I know our listeners will enjoy it. Let me share a couple thoughts of what, what I learned today in listening to you. And um, just starting from how you grew up with your missionary parents and what they taught you, uh, I'm so happy that you've gotten back to that and knowing that it has nothing to do with the money, but the, the values that they uh, raised you with um, are something that has be, that you are able to live every day now um, in business and in life, um, which is wonderful. Just your how you know early on you felt like you know you needed to get rich because you didn't have money, and your friend suggested you get into commercial real estate, so you jumped all in and and uh, you did well, but you weren't happy. And and so I think a big message here is the courage to make a change, and that that moment can come any different ways. And in your case, it's going to a conference, listening to a leader and thinking, aha, there might be a different way. And even realizing it wasn't going to be an overnight change. It was going to take time. So you dug in and did the things every day. You said, even in the early times, you were still trying to do better, but still a little bit self selfish along the way. Um, and then it really hit you, um, that it was important to kind of do this on your own. So you struck out on your own in 2012 to develop your own firm. Uh, you've now not only lived uh, this leadership journey, but you've documented it in, in your book. 
um, which everybody can read. So you've boiled this down to practices that people can live every day. Um, and understanding that, that the cultures like the ones you've created are not necessarily for everyone. And so even in recruiting um, and in the people that you have, we, we find that there are going to be people that don't fit, that don't buy in, that don't want to live by these principles. And that's perfectly okay. Generally speaking, they'll self-select out. Sometimes we have to make a, a tough decision there as well. Um, I think it's important to realize that you never stop learning. And so whether it was you reading books, having a coach, uh, whatever it took for you to go, go on a silent retreat, um, it, that's stuff that never ends for people that think this way, that realize that you can do well, do good all at the same time. Uh, and then your advice for young people, that uh, something I been sharing with with my uh, daughter who's going to go to college next year that really it's all about relationships uh, that if you serve others they will be happy to serve you uh, and and for those that are in um, careers where they are not particularly happy or they don't feel fulfilled that um, have the courage to take a new path because you're a great example of someone that took a new path that's enjoying the fruits of that and most importantly i think the people who are around you are benefiting from that as well so uh thank you very much for uh, sharing your story with us today jonathan it's my honor thank you for having me and just one final point is you you are a great example of someone who is a good listener right i think that's a skill that people that is somewhat lost today. And the only way you can really serve is if you're willing to listen and listening means putting your own self uh, to the side and thinking about the other person. So well done. Just, just <laughs> distilling us. Your summary was amazing on, on, on our call. I, I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you uh, again. That's something that we all have to work on. Uh, I'm not perfect at it either. And I think it's just a matter of you know, maybe it's those silent retreats we went on that teaches us to pay attention, be present. Uh, everybody has a story. And if we listen to it, there's something that we can learn there. There's much to be learned from you. And I, I encourage people to go to your website to buy your book. Um, so thank you very much. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the show by subscribing to hear future episodes. Until next time.